So in undertaking clearance and renewal, um, then clearly many of the details of this are up to you. It's also, you know, what you feel is clogged, stale, redundant, or downright stressful that you like to feel you could release you know, and uh, allow a renewal. I'd be cautious about putting too many details on what the renewal should be. <laughs> yeah. Because part of it is it's it's kind of involuntary and natural, and it's it's not uh, necessarily what right now we uh, can conceive of. But it, <laughs> that is, it's uh, we might want more energy, more happiness, uh, um, solutions to problems. <coughs> These may in fact occur, but you know you have to really recognize the renewal process itself is rather involuntary mysterious it kind of bits start to wake up when they wake up and bits start to get freshened up as energy moves through them and it's very much an energetic practice well, I don't mean in terms of vigor in terms of a kind of subtle uh, quality of vitality that underlies all life or sentiency and this will begin to you know, arise once you've released things you no longer need or downright stressful, then this vitality is one way of looking at it, enthusiasm, um, openness, brightness of mind, will start to express itself in particular ways, subjective ways, or or good. But the emphasis really, particularly in Buddhist practice, is clearing. Basic understanding being, if you get rid of the obstacles or clear the obstacles, then refreshment happens by itself. And each of us have our own particular form or way in which that arises. Whether it's how receptive or vigorous or however that happens. Um, but the Buddha taught the dis- ending of suffering and stress. This is to do with the clogged, uh, stressed um, state, uh, and then the release of that through certain, through releasing certain unconscious or semi-conscious uh, drives, compulsions, uh, holding on, and then there's a sort of blooming that can occur after that process, as that process comes into place. Now in terms of what we may find ourselves um, burdened by, this can occur on in various levels, so uh, restrict just restricted energy, feeling really tired. Stress, everything just have to push so hard. Restrict, restricted energy potential. Um, so, particularly when we come on retreat, often you realise the kind of you've, you know, the overdraft you've taken out on your energy system. You just start to feel really quite exhausted, tired, even sick. People, you know, damage their health through stress. Um, 
So regaining or returning to a more balanced energy pattern, energy program for the body, for our embodiment, for action, which you must bear in mind there are, you know, there are like two or three phases that energy goes through. One is the active, where we move forward, we do. One is receptive, when we receive and open up. And one which is just the, the pause, which is almost like a hovering, which is quite minimal and barely recognised. But it's a, kind of, it's a sort of modality between the active and receptive. But primarily we start to say, well, considering most of us, particularly yourselves, living in the, you know, the active life, we all do, but you're much, your life, I imagine, is much more directed and pressurised than mine. There's so much have to do, have to do, have to do, have to deadline, get on, get on, get on, going on, you know. And that's that's the active. And it's generally active is fine, but it has to be balanced with receptive. You know, so the, the system can regenerate, refresh itself. This means most people have to do a good amount of understanding how to discharge, just how to release stuck energy. And actually to recognise this is important. It's important to learn how to undo because there's so much emphasis on doing. Like anything in nature, the sun, the moon, the turning of the earth, the turning change of seasons, always there's a, a growing and a declining. And the declining is not a failure, it's a necessary phase so that energy can regenerate itself. This is, this is nature. And we live in nature, our bodies are nature. We don't really respond to that. We are bound to damage it. However much physically it looks okay, internally the energy structures just get damaged. And based upon that overactive, hyperactive, energetic uh, basis, we develop, and in fact are encouraged to develop hyperactive psychological <laughs> attitudes. You know, get ahead, success, learn produce, make, get on, get on, get on, you know, more the better. And so that naturally that occupies people's working lives and even recreation is a time to just go out and fling yourself around, you know, chase this, rush that, you know, kind of exciting is the good. Quiet, receptive is a bit feeble. (laughs) So this, this, paradigm, this bias towards a kind of driving energy um, is is really unhealthy. But the receptive has to be learned. It's not passive, it's not flattened out, it's not stagnant, it's actually brightly receptive. Encouraged receptivity, not passive receptivity, but engaged receptivity, really listening not just doing you know, flat and stagnant, but really listening, attending, sensitive, taking it in, lingering, handling, feeling what's going on. This is very much the emphasis in meditation, at least in meditation. And I would encourage you know, to, to have that deep and listening, attentive, receptive, sensitive. Not just... I say listening because it's probably the easiest reference we can make. But this is like a bodily listening, like your your skin is listening. 
the nerve endings are listening. The heart is listening. They're open. They're not listening for anything particular, but allowing phenomena to pass through that openness, listening without clinging, holding on, or reacting. So this, certainly this is um, what I've suggested there. Here's a very important phase or aspect of cultivation that um, I would encourage. And so certainly there's a bodily sense to that, and uh, there's a psychological aspect of that. They both have to be encouraged. Uh, the emotional aspect, which is more the heartful quality, that definitely has to be encouraged. It's a little more difficult in some respects because it's less voluntary. You can't say, well, love her. <laughs> you know, it just so happens or it doesn't. You know. uh, it just, uh, so we have to see something that signals that. So we have to be open enough to not just love what I think about her, actually get a feeling of open receptivity and what would be helpful and and feel attuned to that, sympathetic. Uh, Of course, to have that towards oneself is the big training and the benchmark because if it can't occur towards yourself, if there can't be this open sympathetic receptivity towards what you call yourself, do you really think you have something you turn towards other people? Yeah. Because naturally a word like love, uh, it can be hugely different interpretations of what that means. But I'm not talking about passion. I'm not even talking about liking something. I'm talking about an open, sympathetic receptivity, listening engaged listening, engaged attentiveness, engaged heart, not grasping. This takes some doing. Partly because the heart naturally, uh, our sensitive, our emotional sense, can be um, quite, um, carrying quite a bit of neglect and even damage and uh, shielding. The heart too is a, just like the body and the thinking mind. You can see they're both energetic formations. Thinking mind has to buzz and move, often encouraged to move very fast and in straight lines as fast as possible. It's not a, the kind of thinking that we are encouraged to do is not a taking something in and giving it a few moments to settle and how am I with that and feeling it. It's very much bop, 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 bop onto the next thing. So it's generally a fast-moving trajectory towards some conclusion that we're always moving towards as quickly as possible. That takes a lot of energy. It can be extremely tiring. And it doesn't... uh, The energy... It doesn't circulate. It goes out. It doesn't... Nothing comes back. So we... In in Gamma practice, we create energy, use thinking to turn a circle... As you conceive something, how, how does that feel? You receive it, how is that? Mm-hmm. And 
whereas in normal life the how is that bit can be quite small and and the, the active aspect of thinking direct 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 can be can be emphasized in Dharma practice the active bit is minimal it's just there 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 breath walk touch just enough to indicate and the receptive you open it open it open it open it what's that what's that what's that what is that what is the experience of that and that's what takes it into the feeling sense and this is the, f- the feeling sense is where we begin to connect to the heart mm. now um, partly because this quality of connecting to the heart is neglected through our normal mental process it's abstract you know you do it one one makes two and this is that and this is the capital of that and there's five of these and six of those and we get that and that get that there's no feeling in that so it doesn't matter what you feel about it it's just dealing with logical abstractions so the heart is left behind with that this is not good really to leave to leave the heart behind heart left behind is well, where am I what what's going on I don't count uh, so there's this leaving behind of the heart which makes people f- so when people stop or try to reduce their activities a feeling of pointlessness what because the heart is basically gone inactive there's no or limited emotional buoyancy of course the other thing that <laughs> occurs to the heart is not just the absence of, uh, of, of heart but the presence of emotional damage or emotional impact mistrust which you can sense or to direct aggressiveness or manipulation uh, power domination uh, being dismissed uh, and so forth various polluting influences that you can sense and feel behind people's actions speech glances and so forth you know it's a big area of that and this of course is the heart's actually picking up all those qualities of different kinds of ill will uh, manipulativeness being seen as an object being looked down upon it picks up that uh, and so it kind of shrinks uh, under that impact it's not fed it's not nourished by it it's actually uh, doused doused in 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 uh, poisons and the uh, antidote that's presented to that is 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 be greedy <laughs> get some get some good things and you know and things like that yeah. which really doesn't if it worked but it doesn't work yeah. Yeah, it does because it's it doesn't it doesn't enrich the heart greed is also a contracting energy fear is a contracting energy mistrust is a contracting energy uh, 
ill will is a contracting energy, but greed and acquisitiveness is a, is a contracting energy. Lust for power is a contracting energy. It contracts. It is the quality of tanha, craving. It has a contracting effect on the heart. And as you can probably acknowledge, recognize in people who are deeply steeped in this power, greed, uh, you know, you get a feeling you don't want to be around this person because there's a poisonous quality. Not open. Energy is not open. Uh, Moving out, blessing, encouraging, you know, but actually doing exactly the opposite. Sucking in. There's a disease called tanha, heart disease, craving or thirst. So when we, you know, uh, we, this is something you can just snap out of. Uh, but uh, because it's the heart is not available for being directed, the heart has to open to itself. When it senses healthy energy, it starts to open. You know, it's an involuntary organ in some respects. You can't say, okay, now everybody be happy, everybody feel comfortable, everybody feel cheerful. It doesn't happen. You can't direct it. But if you put the heart in a healthy atmosphere, it will pick that up by itself and start to open up. So what is the atmosphere of the heart? What is this healthy atmosphere? Now, we could, unfortunately it's not purely sensorial. Heart doesn't contact sense objects. It contacts things like meanings. I feel safe, I feel welcome. I don't, you know, I feel welcome, I feel safe, I feel unpressurized. I feel that respected or allowed to be who I am. It picks up those signals and it, it starts to open like that. So our attention, because this can't happen through the world of sense contact, because these are not these feelings don't arise from touch or sight or sound. They arrive from meaning. Uh. And meaning is something that occurs um, through our own efforts, our own cultivation. And this is really what Dhamma practice is about. We're cultivating, so even like on a physical level, if we're sitting, you know, you can get very concerned about the exact exact posture, but the posture is such that your body feels it's light, it's open, it's balanced. Now that's both physical, but it's also energetic. Energy can easily 
moves through the body, the breathing is nice and deep and long, and as a, the, 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 then the feeling of that is, I am comfortable, I am not pressurised, there's open space around me, yeah. I'm, there's no hurry, that's, that's, the, that's the felt meaning that arises from that. And as you linger on that, then the heart can pick up that. Therefore, very important when we do just things like sitting still and sweeping through the body or breathing in and out to have no psychological pressure to it. Because one of the, to me, one of the problems of meditation is that one starts to get these ideas of things I should do or levels I should get to or I have to have this factor and that factor and we leave from the psychology which believes I have to do it I have to get it, I have to make it work and as quickly as possible so I can get to the end result this is the basic psychological training right? Psychologies are not quite the same as thoughts. They're the underlying attitudes, thoughts. Thoughts are not a problem. It's the psychologies that are a problem, which are the underlying attitudes or trajectories down which thought flows or the velocity with which thought flows. So these psychologies, uh, such as have to get, should do, should feel, should be better than, should be as good as, should be what, like what it says in the book, these should be's, just listen to them, feel them, there's a pressure there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Now that pressure, if you linger in it, the more you linger in a certain quality, the bigger it grows. It has an effect that radiates through the system. We are psychologically putting a pressurising energy into a system. And, and that pressurizing energy runs into the body energy. So people who could breathe quite comfortably until they started meditating on breathing find that as soon as they do meditation on breathing they feel as though it's tightening up. Whereas before they're walking around breathing quite comfortably. <laughs> because they unconsciously they didn't decide they didn't want to do it as soon as they put that attention onto it, the attention came with the loaded program of, okay, this is serious, get on with it. And that, and the pressure creeps in, and you can feel it in your body. It's often narrow. The idea is attention should be narrow, hard, and like we do with our eyes if we're focusing on a problem or thing on a screen. There's a hardening, a sharpening of attention. Now this is definitely one mode of attention that has its uses and benefits, um, not to be completely dismissed, but I would suggest this is grossly overused till it becomes the only, only mode of attention that we validate. And this is where it is extremely imbalanced. It's to do with the driving forward attitude. There's also an attention which is just open. The attention, we could say, of listening to silence, for example. There's the feel your attention opens up. No particular object is required, 
which is actually moving the function of attention to a wider mode. Can you listen, if you like, or attend to your body from that in that mode? This is because the body energy and the psychological energy and the heart energy are really three aspects of the same thing, which I'll call the um, causal, the causal energy field. <laughs> that is because it is caused, uh, it, 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 it is fundamentally caused by life itself, but it's also caused and conditioned by the various kinds of inputs we have on sensorial level or on the attitudinal level, our relational experience with others, our psychological history, all these create effects on our, on this system. And it's, so it's caused, it's also causative, based upon this fundamental energy property, my energies go spurts and sags, they go faltering and dithering, they go zigzag, they go sharp and aggressive, they go uh, in various modes. Yeah? And those have significant effects on myself and other people. So it's caused and causative. This is the primary causative field, it's energetic. So effects that may have been seemingly psychological, like he doesn't like me or he shouts at me, have physical, physiological and physical effects. And of course, that comes into emotional effects too. So that sets up how I experience myself as lesser than uh, whatever, you know, and that affects everything I do. Similarly, the other way round, and this is the principle of karma, if we are in a a field or we're feeling a senses of, of cooperation, love, mutuality, support, gentleness, morality, generosity, you know, the basic stuff, and we really feel those being lived around us, then those causative effects affect our own our field, our, our energies, and oh yeah, I really feel a little better. And it means certain psychological attitudes can then drop away. Certain emotional bruises can heal. Certain emotional blank places can start to, to brighten up and become awake. And that's the fundamental principle of what we call kamatana, or making practice our, our, fun, our foundation. So what I've described as meanings, or felt meanings, um, so for example, the sitting position of the body and the walking of the body is a means, it's supposed to be a means where we get a felt meaning based upon a bodily experience, such as I'm not stressed, I'm not pushed, I'm not constricted, uh, I feel balanced, uh, and that the body begins to resonate with a sense of that and the heart picks that up. The heart picks that up, it's possible to, to release some of the psychologies of stress that are built in, that get built in.
Important then not to add psychologies of stress to meditation. Even if the meditation seems kind of a bit faltering and pathetic, great chance for compassion and loving kindness and acceptance <laughs> and patience. And those meanings in the long run will do you a lot more good because all of us are bound to get sick and weak and break things and have difficult days where you just can't do the primary, sharp, upright, fantastic, clear meditations that you might have had once or twice. (laughs) So much more useful to have a patient, compassionate heart than be a super, you know, fantastic meditator. (laughs) Because, you know, life's like this. And what's the meaning? What's that feel like? Seem a bit weak? Feeble? Mm. Listen to that voice, that attitude. Mm. Should be better than this. Mm. Craving. Want more. Not enough. Don't feel good. Don't feel strong. Just wait. Give it time. It'll build up by itself. The renewal begins by itself. Picks up. Because our psychologies, you know, emotional. Activations, activations are hugely affected by the presence of other people more than anything else. We're very, um, we maintain a sense of prudent, respectful, and kindly uh, attitudes towards each other, and also sensitivity to how we may be affecting each other without wishing to. So lots of retreat situations are quite aware of, you know, how sitting close to people, particularly if your breathing's a bit noisy, just what it could be just you know, you're not feeling so good or just giving you other space. And just connecting to it. One of the um, other, so working very much on the so human, psychological, emotional level, but uh, although a huge amount of our input and the stuff that gets us bouncing around for good or bad is based upon psychologies, uh, you know, the meanings that arrive from that base the other set of meanings that, that, that come in is based upon what we make of sense contact. Now, actually the heart doesn't really contact itself directly, the senses, but an agent called the mind interprets sense contact as agreeable, disagreeable, a mental ripple. Of agreeable or disagreeable. 
dependent upon sense contact. And this means that um, by and large people, particularly when in psychological distress of some kind, will look to either towards other people, which isn't necessarily something they feel they can do, or they look towards sense contact to give them some relief. Watch Netflix, watch YouTube, put something music on, uh, movies, uh, you know. eat something, drink something. And this gets kind of addictive. Because the more that we do rely upon those meanings derived from sense contact, which is generally you don't have to do anything with this, you just push a button, boom. <laughs> you don't have to do anything with this, you just put it in your mouth, you know. Uh, uh, so this is what we call stagnant receptivity. <laughs> and so there's a little bit of relief. But um, because the receptivity is, is not really engaged and, and sensitive, then the effect doesn't last very long. It's not can't be it doesn't it doesn't penetrate and suffuse the heart. It touches it and then moves on. And then we get a brief burst of agreeable feeling for an hour or two and then it's gone. A moment or two and it's gone. Um, compared with like the statement of the Buddha where he says, Well I can sit seven days and nights upright under a tree and feel totally without sleeping and feel completely blissful. Mm. <laughs> that's based upon pure circulation of pure energy the experience called samadhi the happiness of that so with sense contact there's a brief sense of being fed with something but it doesn't last but it gets addictive, we turn towards that for our feel-good. We get a few moments of feel-good. Even though it can be agreeable, it's, the negative effect is one, it tends to be addictive. And secondly, it turns our attention out towards phenomena that we have no real control over. You know, no real say over. They're not, they're not innate, they're always something outside me. If electricity goes, then all the Netflix in the world is not going to work. Right? If it's raining, then the sunny day isn't going to happen. And so the sense world is essentially far out, you know, beyond our control. It's seemingly the inner world is beyond our control, but this is what we're beginning to learn. We can have some definite input to affect that, to change that. And it has to unhook or let go or step back from the sensory contact into this more uh, basic uh, contact with the energies in the body and the mind and the heart and grooming and cultivating and training and calming and soothing and settling those and turn. Another feature of um, sense contact, first so addictive, 
turns one out. Also, very much uh, moderates or affects one's mode of attention. So the mode of attention, the sense contact, is very much to, to, to go out and hold it. And hold a sight. Look at something. Your eyes. Hold a sight. It's a kind of fixation. Fixate on a sight, on a sound, or a thought, or an idea. So it's a certain clasping. Now what's encouraged in in meditation is not that, but it's something called mindfulness. And sometimes people maybe assume mindfulness is just doing that on on a particular object, like a breath. You do that, you clasp it. But um, that isn't how it is. Mindfulness is associated with the ability to a kind of intention that can be placed upon an experience with enough spaciousness, enough continuity to ask how is this affecting me, how is this affecting my heart. So it's a reflective attention. How is this affecting me? What's my relationship with this? And with mindfulness you're often placing your your attention on pretty simple, non-stimulating, not particularly wonderful experiences, just like walking or breathing or even a mantra. But there it is. And what does the mode of attention, steady, calm, not grasping, how does that feel? No pressure, no achievement expected, no reward expected, no complexities, just placing attention without any of those attitudes onto the energies in the body and receiving them. How is this affecting me? Mm-hmm. If we are mindful of a sight, we notice seeing something agreeable, disagreeable, not clasping it. Not, how is it when I just allow that sight to throb, pass through, how does that affect me? Feel kind of cool and peaceful. We hear that sound pops up, sound of the bell rises. I don't grip hold, I don't react, I don't jump. Open to it, sound passes through. How does that mode of attention itself affect me? Cool, open, sensitive. Things move through. And the result of that cool, open, sensitive feels strangely stabilizing, comfortable, relaxing. No pressure, no obligation, no sense of have to get it right. That's a relief. And then we are beginning to understand the skill of receptivity. How from that engaged receptivity, not passive but engaged receptivity, which is the heart of mindfulness, 
It gives room for qualities to arise. And this is where renewal begins. Some qualities that arise are like un, you know, unpleasant or unfortunate or toxic or bruised experiences that need to just be ventilated. <laughs> you know? The feelings that got left behind. <laughs> the places where we left our heart because it was just too painful to be there. So we left it. A feeling of abandonment, mistrust, uh, hostility, intimidation. It was just too uncomfortable, so we left it. Yeah. And so some of those may arise, unfortunately. But bear in mind, this is part of a cleansing process. The, uh, the dirt has to come out. And to just bear in mind, it's not, just be, it's not your dirt particularly. It just happens to have established itself here on the heart because of causes and conditions you know, to just get the bruises out ventilate, ventilate, ventilate and clearly when I use the word like ventilate it immediately suggests, well this is something with breathing isn't it you know? and it is but breathing in a, much, in a much broader more subtle sense than just pumping air in and out it's the sense of the, the relief quality of an out breath it's the let it go all the way out. Don't just let it go all the way out. Relax with it. Just let it. Don't run after it, trying to figure out what it's about. Just let it. If you let it go all the way out, then what comes in? It's clean, fresh, and so on. And then gradually, using the rhythm or the energies of breathing out as a as a keynote as a guideline to how we ventilate the heart, clean the heart. And in this process, right there, one is already drawing upon a fundamental quality of resilience, of patience, of heartfulness that's necessary to sustain this very life. Sympathy with oneself, never giving up on yourself, always sympathetic, you know, seeking in this subtle way one's welfare. And from this is the herald that invites and brings in the more profound qualities of compassion, goodwill, gladness, appreciation, equanimity, the real healing qualities of heart that will arise. Naturally, we bear those in mind, but they are always available just through willpower. So, this is just, um, I don't want to say too much, maybe I already have. Uh, but to summarize, cleaning and renewal is fundamentally an energetic process. In certain aspects that you probably recognise, one does feel fatigued, tired, stiff, worn out, okay, or oppressed, heavy. Life has got burdensome. So there's a physiological and a bodily effect of that which we can acknowledge. There's, a, there's also, in, say, a psychological effect which is to do with I've got to make it work, or it's my fault, I should have never have done that, I've really got to do this, I've got to get on with that, 
they want me to do this, everybody says that, I've got to make it work for him, I owe it to them, this kind of psychological stuff, which is the key sign of it is pressure, 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 pressure. That is something we want to be able to clean. So, sure, certainly we apply ourselves, we apply ourselves eventually from a place of, I like to do that, because I like to do it. It's changing it around. Thirdly, there's the emotional renewal or clearance, which is the clearance of qualities such as regret, um, over actions one's done or not done, and perhaps more fundamentally, uh, lack of healthy regard that you have received. You've been, you know, you've not received adequate healthy regard or benevolence, and also one has received unhealthy. <laughs> regard, like blaming, intimidation, force, and so forth. So this heart cleaning of these qualities, uh, this is what, and if there's a cleaned, there can be a renewal. We're saying, well, let's, to do that, we begin to disengage, first of all, from a fixation on sense data as something we want to seek, you know, the best from. It's there, but we want to be allow that to flow through disengage from psychological um, outlets, um, intellectual pursuits, coming up with great answers, uh, analysing oneself, analysing others, you know. Blaming is a psychological structure that tries to displace the pain onto somebody else. (laughs) It's his fault. (laughs) Which could be true, but that isn't going to help you any. Right. So, just can, can that be checked? To say, yeah, he did do me harm. He did three years ago. What's doing me harm now? That stuck memory here. That could I clear that, release that, and the. Uh, um, so I'm not just continually acting upon that seeing or being prone to seeing uh, other people with an eye of mistrust this naturally comes into the heart qualities clearing these effects and then renewal can occur as we meditate today so we kind of limit the psychological activities uh, to just uh, staying with uh, care and attention to our situation clean, open, light, spacious, respectful to others, harmless, moral. Mm-hmm. To uh, sustaining awareness of the body uh, in its energetic principles, so we are trying to walk, breathe, stand with, with your body as it is. Letting the body lead rather than one's idea of what it should be doing or one's assumption about it. And then the body energy will begin to come forward and be clear and renewed. And this sets up a fundamental tone and paradigm that begins to resonate through the entire energetic system, which is where all these three domains, psychology, emotion, body, they all, they all take their basis from this, this energetic foundation. <clears throat>